This morning we're continuing our study of the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at the personal work of the Holy Spirit for some weeks now. Uh, starting next week, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit and start looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we find in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, self-control. Uh, so we'll look at each one of those ingredients and um, uh, begin to appreciate how they are different from humanitarian ingredients, how they are truly a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But before I left the person and work of the Holy Spirit, I wanted to give just a little attention this morning to the place in which the Holy Spirit dwells. So we've been singing songs about uh, God's house, God's place, God's people. Um, and I want us to, to think through that whole um, dynamic. Uh, in John chapter 14, you see a little of the transition. I'll start there. John 14, verses 17 uh, through 20. I'm going to give you a, a number of passages, which is why I've given you a handout this morning that uh, has a lot of this on there. But John 14, beginning at verse 17, Jesus speaking, saying, well, let me start at verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and he may, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it did not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but, I, but you will see me because I live with you. And where I live, you live also. And in the day, uh, that day you'll know me. And you'll know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Uh, wonderful, comforting words to the disciples hearing that Christ was leaving them and yet he was not leaving them. He was always going to be with them, uh, but things are clearly changing in that first century from temp worship in the temple, worship in the tabernacle, worship around an earth altar. Um, they had been into the synagogues with Jesus, and now he's, he's indicating uh, some sort of special presence with them uh, no matter where they go. go. The temple begins to take new shape. We all know the temple is where God dwells. It's a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Now look one other place, and you begin to see some of this taking shape. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning down at verse 19. Again, we saw in John that uh, the Holy Spirit comes to God's people, unique. It's not with everybody. Here we see that same distinction between Christian and non-Christian. Ephesians 2, verse 19, You will no longer be strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Uh, so we're family, we're household. Verse 20, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, so he stays with this building analogy, being fitted together is growing into... A holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, what I want you to see is transitioning in the New Testament is this whole concept of God worship in the temple. And he says, you're growing into the temple. You, the household of God, are growing into the temple. 
you're growing into that place where God dwells. I started with the, the, uh, the, the prophets, the apostles, Christ Jesus himself, and now you. You are becoming the temple of God. And as I tried to research that subject, how are we becoming the temple of God? You, you get this concept of, of God dwelling in a place, in persons, in the people of God. And I want us to kind of take you through that. But I don't want to ignore, I don't want you to ignore just the overwhelming thought of God in heaven dwelling in us on earth. Of course, that's the beauty of Christmas. That's the beauty of the incarnation. God who was, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us. But how he is now still dwelling among us. We know from the Christmas story, call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But to, to, to look at that a little bit more to say, well, how is he with us? And to always see this uniqueness, he's not with everyone, he's with us. And, and, and to begin to take that in, and it adds value to your life and the way you live and uh, the way you will worship, if you think through that with me. The temple, first of all, as place. Um, I want to get to Exodus 20, God's place with his people. But before I do that, look, can you look quickly at Acts 7, 38? Because this is just, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but so many people think that the church started in the New Testament, and that concept's false. And here's, is expressly uh, given to us as in Stephen's sermon, Acts chapter 7, verse 38, he says, uh, This is the one, speaking of Moses, this is the one who was in the congregation. That's the word church. My translation translates it congregation. This is the one who was in the church in the wilderness, together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, who was with our fathers, and he received living oracles to pass out to you. So God defines church in the Old Testament. It, it was there with Moses. He was leading the church. The church was in the wilderness. And we sometimes think the church didn't start until the New Testament. No, the church is the household of God. So where did the early church, this church in the wilderness, meet? Well, you know, when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, gave him the Ten Commandments, forming the church in the wilderness they began to wander around because of their sin in the wilderness for for those 40 years but they were still meeting with God and they were a dwelling place with God Exodus 20 is the 10 commandments look at Exodus 20 um, and you begin to see the first meeting of the church there and it's basically an altar and this altar is made out of earth for the, for the most part, where they can gather and build something. Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, says, You shall make, so speaking to Moses and those people, right after the Ten Commandments, You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and will bless you. 
Um, you know, you, you, you get the sense of, 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 of God in a place. And God is, is giving that sense out here. So I want you to make an altar. And on that altar, you do your sacrifices. But the real key is, this is the place I'm going to come. And I'm going to bless you. It's going to be a special place when you gather around that altar. Because I'm going to be with you there. And I'm going to forgive your sins. And I'm going to grow you as the people of God. Uh, Exodus 25, uh, they, they begin to, to build a place beyond the, the earthen altar. Uh, Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9 says... Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, uh, just so you shall construct it. And so the rest of Exodus, he gives them uh, diagrams and plans for building the tabernacle. So they've gone from this earth altar to now we're going to wander in the wilderness. Why don't we just, why don't we build something we can just carry with us? We don't have to keep building a new something. And so they do. They build this tabernacle. Still, it's that special place. And, and you know the stories of that. I really am not going to spend the time on it. How the, the fire was over the tabernacle uh, at night and how the cloud was over it during the day. And as Moses went out to the tent of meeting or as he went into the, the tabernacle, the people of God said, God is there. Because God was demonstrating his presence with that fire and with that cloud. And when the cloud or the fire got up and started moving, they picked up the tabernacle and they followed it. They wanted to be where God was. And God was leading them that way. They got a sense of his presence in a place. And that place started with an altar. It moved to the tabernacle. Then where does it go? To a temple. And why does it go to a temple? Well, after the people of God come out of the wilderness, after they get into the promised land, you know, they're, they're primarily in Jerusalem. They get into, the, the tribes develop everything, but Jerusalem becomes the, the county seat, so to speak, like Anderson. This is where everybody comes back to. And you had Saul, who started as a king of that area, and then you had David. And David, said, and David was such a mighty leader, he's building the people a kingdom. And he says, you know, I'm going out into war, but I keep coming back here. God, I want to build a temple here. They still had the tabernacle. He says, we're, we're building walls. We're building palaces. We're, we're building a kingdom. It, it makes sense that we would quit going to this little tent. Let's build a temple for our God. Dwell there. And God, of course, says to David... I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do it through you. You can make all the preparations you want. I'm going to do it through your son Solomon. So this first temple uh, is uh, under Solomon's reign because the people now are stationary. They're, they're coming to Jerusalem. It made sense that the temple be constructed there. Uh, it was called uh, Solomon's Temple. It was built under him. Um, again, just maybe for shortness of time, I've given you a lot of scripture, but uh, you remember when they dedicated the temple, what happened? The cloud came down. The smoke so filled the temple. The people of God couldn't take it. 
it's again reminding them of the cloud over the tabernacle. It's reminding them God is moving now from the tabernacle to the temple. And this is that place that will be special. And, and, and Solomon's prayers as he dedicates, you know, he says, God, as, as, as people come here, or if people just look here and pray towards this place, I know you will hear their prayers and you will bless them. Because in directing their attention to this place, they're directing their attention to God. They understand God dwells with them. And it's a God who's made covenant with them to bless them. So that's, you know, that was what was happening throughout the Old Testament, the temple. And of course, when that all gets destroyed, then we get into the New Testament and things begin to change. But there was a, the New Testament dwelling place becomes Jesus. God dwells in Jesus, with us. And then Jesus is transitioning that place to another place. But there you see the whole um, uh, progression of a place of God's dwelling. And we've, I started with where I want to end. It's us. As we get into the New Testament, it becomes us, the church of God. Um, and it's special um, do we get that? Do we get a sense of that? It reminded me of the story Steve Brown told. Uh, Steve Brown, uh, <clears throat> he's got to be a really old preacher now because the story's old. Uh, but he, was, he, he had a local church that uh, President Nixon used to call his home church. So Steve Brown was uh, accustomed to President Nixon when he was president coming to church. Now, you can just imagine what that's like if it was in this church. Uh, the Secret Service have to call the church ahead of time and say, we need to come by the church. We need to scope it all out, make sure there's no snipers anywhere and all those kind of things. We need to scope out a place. president's coming. He's going to sit there. And so the congregation was kind of used to that. Steve Brown was used to it. He was warned, president's coming to church Sunday. He said, great, we'll be ready. And uh, so he knew it was going to happen. Well, he comes into church, gets up to make the announcements. He sees the secret service wherever they were, you know, one corner place of the congregation. Secret service was there. Uh, crowds were gathering. You know, and as people see that, you know, oh, Pre President Nixon's coming this morning. President Nixon's coming this morning. Well, that, that spreads throughout the community. Hundreds of people showed up that morning just to see President Nixon because he was going to be in that place. Well, Steve got up, did the announcements and all that, and he noticed the Secret Service guys get up and they leave. So he didn't know, you know, national emergency or whatever, but it just, all that meant to him was Nixon's not coming. He had a change of plans, so the Secret Service got the radio, they all get up and leave to go wherever they needed to be. Well, when the congregation began to see, those Secret Service guys get up, they, they figure out, well, Nixon's not coming after all. Well, the people who were there just for that, they started getting up. So the preacher sitting up here, have to, he said he had to get over the whole ego thing. They weren't there for him anyway. You know, but he's, it's like droves of people. Hundreds of people getting up and leaving when they should be sitting down and staying. And it just bothered him. At some point he got up and said, look, I, I need to make an announcement. He said, whether, I don't know why you came, why you're here, I'm not going to judge that. 
He says, I want you to know this, though. God is in this place, and that should be sufficient. And I thought, man, I wish I had wisdom for that. Say that. That's so cool. And it's so right on. When you understand the body of Christ as the place where God dwells. God is in this place. It should overwhelm you. And it should always be sufficient for you to be where God dwells. But we get so caught up in our own lives, we forget the beauty and the significance and the wonder of the presence of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Here's key passage on the temple becoming now the people of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17 says, Do you not know? And that's where we pick up that story. It's like, don't you get this? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? You, both places, is plural. So he's talking about those guys who are the Corinthian church. If it were New Covenant church, he's talking about you. You, all of you, do, do you not know? It's not you as an individual, but do you as a congregation not know that you are the temple of God? And the reasons he's, he's saying that is because of the way they were behaving. Verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. And that's what you are. You're what? Holy or you're the temple? I think there's a sense in which both. You should be holy and you are the temple of God. Now, the fact of the matter is you must be ignorant of that fact if you don't live in such, if you don't live like the temple of God. So do you live like the temple of God? The Corinthian church obviously was not. And as a result of that, he says, are you ignorant? I mean, do you not know? The temple is no longer in Jerusalem. That's not the special place. It's no longer the tabernacle. It's no longer the altar. Do you not know? It's now you. And these people might rightly think, well, we live in Corinth. We, we don't live in Jerusalem. How did we become the temple of God? Look back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And you see how it translates to us. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 2, says the church of God. Here's one of the most succinct definitions of the church. The church of God, which is. So here's the definition. At Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place Call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So what is the church? The church is a local place. It's, it's in Corinth here. It's, it's a place made up of those who are sanctified, saved, cleansed, regenerated in Christ Jesus by calling. It's not something they worked up or earned on their own. They were called into this by God along, to get, along with every other Christian called, who called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord 
and ours. So the local church was in Corinth. He says it's also in Galatia. It's also in Ephesians. It's, it's, it's also in Anderson. It's every group of people who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called out to be his people. He says that's the church. And he gets to chapter 3 and he says, don't you know that's who you are? You're the church. And as the church which is built upon the prophets and apostles and Christ Jesus, you have become the temple of God, God's special dwelling place. We gather together as the church. We are the temple. We're the place God dwells. Corporately, there's a specialness to this place where we gather. Um, I got here before Halls this morning. He greets most of y'all as one of our well, you're definitely our senior greeter. I was going to say, you're one of our best greeters. You may be the best greeter. I don't know. But I got to greet him this morning. And so I opened the door for him, and I said, welcome to the temple of God. And he said, uh, uh, yeah, thank you. You know, it's like, it, it's, do we catch that? I mean, that's pretty significant. Come into the temple of God. Uh, New Testament Folks like us, we, we kind of have lost that mindset because we're, especially in America, we're no longer building these magnificent cathedrals you step into and you, you, you sense the presence and blessing of God. It's been my dream that God would let us build such a place here that our next building would, would be a sanctuary that gives you that sense that you've stepped into the presence of God. And, and, you know, we tried to do this here with a multi-purpose space. It's a gym, but we wanted people to come up and see the beautiful woodwork. We wanted an upward focus that we would, we would think, even in a multi-purpose building, that it's about God, that it's not about us. And, and then we would look to Him. Uh, do, you, do you get that? Are you gripped by that, that you are the temple of God? A local body of believers meeting for that. God gives a warning here. Verse 17 says, If any man destroys the temple of God, what were they doing? They were dividing the church. Some saying, I think we need to follow Apollos. I think we need to follow Stephen. I think we need to follow Paul. You know, it was being divisive. You know that about Corinth. And God, through Paul, is saying, That's splitting the church. Ultimately, that's destroying the church. You've got a divisive person. It's destroying the church. Do you not know that's destroying the temple of God? You're not just dividing and going your own way. You're messing with the blessing. You're messing with the presence of God in the church corporately. You're messing with that for which Jesus died. You're messing with this, the significance of understanding temple and God's presence in the temple. <coughs> and I fear we, we, we so quickly lose that. I got called to be a counselor once by a church that was dividing. And um, it's interesting, the guy who called me, I didn't know at the time, but the guy who called me said, hey, can I come talk to you? Uh, our church is really going through some struggles. And 
I know you've gone through some struggles and your church has. Maybe you can help us out. I said, okay, I'd be glad to. Uh, let's meet. I did, interesting, I didn't know at the time the guy who was coming to see me and asking for my counsel was the problem. And yet he was asking for counsel. Usually those people are not the ones asking for counsel. Everyone's just barreling ahead, doing their own thing. But he, he told me, you know, he had a problem with the pastor, problem with the elders, yada, yada, yada. And I said, well, I can't really tell you what to do, only hearing one side of the story. I said, I'll get back with you kind of thing. Uh, let me go talk to the pastor and see. So I called up the pastor and told him what was going on. I said, could we meet? And, sure. And so I met with the, the, the pastor, then some of the other elders, and I began to see the guy who came to me was the problem. And as I saw that, I said, well, I've been called into this, you know, not my choosing. I don't go looking for problems. I got enough of my own, you know. Uh, but I said, my counsel is that this guy is divisive, and he needs to be told to, to just quit it. And he needs to be, uh, Greg did a great sermon a couple weeks ago. You tell him, uh, Titus chapter 3, you warn him once, you warn him twice, Third time, you, you disassociate it. You're over. And so that was the counsel I gave them, Titus 3 counsel. That's what you need to do. And so they met. They called him in, all the elders, and they met. They, they told him that. He said, no, 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 y'all are wrong. I'm right. I can't remember if they told him uh, that again the second time or not. All I know is within a few days, he was in the hospital with this mysterious illness, some sort of cancer that undetected. He was in intensive care. And I went to see him. I can't remember now if, if I was called to see him or I just went. But anyway, I showed up. And I, while I was there, I said, listen, I know you had a meeting with the elders and you had a meeting with the church. And I said, I haven't had a chance to meet with you since all of that happened. But I want you to know what you're doing is wrong. I said, I hope they told you to repent. That's what needs to happen. And I shared with him 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17. I said, you're destroying the temple of God, and you need to quit it. And he said, and I prayed with him. He said, thanks. He says, I, I don't think I'm going to repent. I hear what you're saying. He says, I, I'm not sure I'm going to do that because I'm not sure you're right. And I said, okay, I just want you to know. So it was very clear. I left. Um, within two days, he died. And you don't usually have judgment that swiftly. But it was clear, like God said, I'm not going to mess up another Sabbath day. He's done. He's destroying my church. Everybody acknowledges he's destroying my church. If, and what does 1 Corinthians 3.17 says? You just seek to destroy my church, I will destroy you. And it happened. And I've seen it happen several other times now that God's taken me through that. And through church splits, some of you have heard me privately say, because I'm not bold enough to say it publicly, but some of you have heard me privately say, that person will be dead very soon. So I don't know if it'll be a year, two years, three, or what. But they won't be here long. Why? Because first, And the people say, why, why would you say that? 1 Corinthians 3.17 says, God says, you destroy my church, I will destroy you. And I've seen it happen three or four times now. God says, the church is special. It's a blessing. Now, I failed you as a church several times in this because we've had divisive people among us. 
And I thought of this when Greg, again, when Greg was preaching a few weeks ago on Titus 3. I thought, man, I've sinned, Lord. Forgive me again. Because my tendency is when a divisive person comes into the church or is raised up in the church, my tendency, you know, the Scripture says, warn them, warn them, be done. My tendency is warn them, warn them, and 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 warn them. And at some point through that, what are you doing? You're just tolerating them. Because I, I love, I don't, I don't like losing people anyway, you know, and it, and it is really tough. And forgive me for that. There's a time when you have to say, warn them, warn them, and be done. It's that serious. Because if, if you don't get their attention that seriously, God will take them out. And he does. Because he's so loved in his church. It's the same way if you were to come into my house and seek to destroy my bride. What am I going to do? I'm going to defend the house, and I'm going to defend my bride. And I'm going to do everything I can to take you out. Why would we think any different from our God who loves his bride that he's called the church? My, my goal this morning is not talk on divisiveness, this, all that. My goal is for you to see the specialness of the bride of Christ which is the dwelling place of our God, which is the New Testament temple. It's us. It's the church. That is what you are. You are the temple of God. Uh, There's language about us as persons, and that's what I said. If if, if we are, back in verse 7, the temple of God is holy. If we are the temple of God, we should be holy. Let's think about that just briefly. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me. Not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, now what I think is going on there, he's talking about all things are profitable, and he immediately talks about food and the stomach. It's like, basically, say, you can eat anything you want to. Everything you eat, it's for the food, it's, 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 it's for your stomach. God's going to do away with both of them. That's really no big deal. All the stuff you take into your body. It's not the biggest deal in the world. You know, there's lots of people who want to idolize certain foods over other foods. And he said, that's not the big deal. But talking about coming stuff coming into your body, he says, yet. You want to talk about that? He says, what should not be coming into your body is sin. Immorality. The body was built for food. The body was not built for for sin. And that's where he goes with it. The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Catch that. The body was built for the Lord to come into. Not just food to come into, but for the Lord. And 
Do you take a holy Lord and put him into an unholy vessel? See, that's, that's what's going on. Verse 14, Now God has not only raised, uh, raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is, what? A temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And the body's being spoken of here in the sense of temple. That God comes to dwell in his people, in the temple. And that temple should not be full of sin. It should be a holy uh, place. Look over at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. You see a little bit more of this. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 and 18. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? Or what harmony is Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, and catch where this verse comes from, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Know where that comes from? Exodus. When God was coming to Abraham and Moses and starting this whole journey. He says, do you not know that's who you now are? You're that temple. And I come to dwell in you. And for me, to, who is holy, to dwell in you, you must be holy. Don't fill your temple with sin. With, and he describes that as lawlessness. It's amazing the number of churches you know that are against the law of God. And so they're being filled with, with sin instead of law, instead of God's commands, God's ways, God's delight. God delights in being with his people, and he wants the place to be fit. I, I remember uh, coming home from somewhere late one night, we were coming through Atlanta about Spaghetti Junction, and my wife says, I'm just tired. Can we just stop in some motel? Just stop and rest. And I said, okay, here's one. And I pulled off. I didn't look, see what the sign was. There's one. I pulled off. I was frustrated too. And I went up to the clerk. And, you know, it's 1 o'clock in the night. You're supposed to be asleep by now. <clears throat> I get to the clerk, and the clerk's on the phone. And there's this counter. And right behind the counter, there was a hallway with rooms. And I, you know, this place looked a little sketch, you know, so I thought, I need to look. And so while this clerk was on the phone, I walked around the counter because I saw a door open with a cleaning car. I said, well, I can look in that room. I went down the hall, looked in the room, stepped inside. You know, there were stains on the bathroom floor. It was, this was back in the day of shag carpet. And it had black shag carpet just matted down. And uh, I said, oh, man, this is not good. And I stepped out, and then a cockroach ran across. And the thought in my brain was, I don't know what kind of place this is or who would stay here, but I know one thing for sure. 
my wife will not stay in this place. This place is unfit for her occupancy. We are the dwelling place of God. Are we unfit? Are we a place that God would say, I really want to be there. I want to be in that place. Because that's where my people are. And they're so beautiful. I can't wait to see my bride again. Week after week after week. That's, that's the indication that God comes to us with. I can't wait to be with you. Be holy as I'm holy. Come and let me dwell in you. Because I want to bless you. I really want to bless you. And I don't want you come being divisive. I want you to come and being so full of love and that we just get together and we love on each other. That's the people of God. Well, I've kind of run out of time. I gave you four kind of practical things to think about. Understanding the temple of God this way what should that do for us? Number one, I think it should call us to a great commitment to the church, to the local church. That's where God dwells, whether you're in Corinth or whether you're in Anderson. It's no longer just in Jerusalem. It's where the saints are gathered. There needs to be a commitment, a passion for the church. There should obviously be a hatred for division, for sin, for anything that's um, dividing the church. There should be a passion for joining the church, wanting to be with church. I say this sometimes to the, to the marriage where there's a Christian and a non-Christian. I'm usually counseling the Christian in the marriage, saying if you get it right, your non-Christian spouse will want to be with you. They will want to be in your place because you should be overwhelming them with the love of God. Now, there does come a time, First Corinthians talks about, where the unbeliever doesn't want to be with you. Then you let them go. We call that divorce. God says, I call you to peace. You let them go. But they should want to, unless they're just really that stupid. Even the non-Christian wants to be blessed. And as the temple of God, we should be that place of blessing. We should cherish our, our vessel that's called the church because it's, it's a vessel where God fills, fills it up with His Spirit and begins to bless us. We're going to look at some of those blessings starting next week, how He fills us up with fruit, and that fruit begins to overflow. Second, it calls us to a great commitment to holiness. I made that point. We need to be holy. Three, it calls us to a great commitment to just brotherly love among one another. You know, I spent hours yesterday and the day before counseling people who were at odds with one another. You wouldn't believe the number of people called me this week asking me to fix it. You know, I am mad at yada, 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 yada. And David, you need to fix it. And I'm thinking, I can't fix it. You'll never be satisfied if I call up that person and uh, give them what for. You call them up and give them what for. And I said, why is that? I said, because you're the one offended. 
And y'all are the two that need to get reconciled. I said, but don't fight. Be at peace with one another. Do you not understand you're talking to the bride of Christ? We treat people like elected officials. And when we disagree, we just want to walk away and say, I didn't vote for them anyway. <laughs> we should not be treating people like elected officials. We should be treating one another like brothers in Christ, like family. I've got to figure this out. This is family. I will live with them till I die. They will never cease to be family. They are my brothers. They and us together are the temple of God. You get that urgency by Paul. Do you not understand? You are the temple of God. You're the household of faith. You can't be divisive. You must be brotherly, sisterly. You must be family. You must be in love. Whoever gave you a different mindset is wrong. Fourth, it's a call to great commitment to just praise God. To just praise Him. God's blessings flow down on us. They flow to us. Franklin Graham's good right now at, at saying how different in the public media, how different the church of Jesus Christ is from the church of Islam. They worship a dead God. We worship the God who is raised and who is alive. We worship the God who is with us. And that's so special. We should not move away from just praising God how special he's made us as his people. We should be a people overwhelmed with his praise. Well, as we come to the Lord's Supper, I want us to be reminded of 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 9. Because perhaps you're like me. I've already confessed some of my sin to you this morning, but you've got sin to confess too. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say that we have no sin... We're deceiving ourselves. Truth's not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you need to be cleansed? Is there something God the Spirit's been talking to you about? Say, you need to get, get that right. You need to, to be turned from sin and turned to the Holy Spirit filling you and being the temple of God, confess it. As we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to hunger and thirst, the bread, the wine, hunger and thirst for holiness. Because the Lord's Supper is where we believe the Spirit comes to dwell and commune with us. And I want you to be able to say with me, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. To do so, I must be holy. Take my sin, I confess it. Cleanse me of sin. I want to be the church, sanctified in Christ Jesus. So I want to be sanctified this morning. Take away my sin. I hunger for it. I take the bread because I want to be the holy body of Christ. I take the cup because I want his blood to wash away all my sin. Let's pray for that. Let's pray together. Father, Hear us. There's many of us. You can hear us, each and every one. And hear us as a corporate sound that says, 
Heal us, O God, and make us whole. Cleanse us and make us holy. Take away our sins. Take away everything that we've been doing that's just not a pleasure to our Heavenly Father. Forgive us of our deceptions. Forgive us of making church about us. Forgive us for boasting in our own cleansing and strength. May we come to boast only in Christ and His cross. May we come to be cleansed by Him. Lord, cleanse us now. We want to take Your body as a clean vessel. We want Your blood to wash away our sin. We want to start today afresh in communion, in feeling, sensing, tasting, touching, seeing the Holy Spirit in the temple of God. Oh, Spirit, come and fill us up till we want no more. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the elders and deacons to come forward. We will